Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. (laughs) Let me pray for us as we begin this morning. In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. Well, this Eastertide, uh, in our lectionary, which is the, the readings that occur on Sundays, um, we're in the book of First Peter. It's a short book. It's five chapters. And so I want to spend some time this Eastertide in the book of First Peter. So I encourage you, as uh, we go throughout the next five weeks, to read it on your own a couple of times. Get familiar with it. Uh, it's a really easy book to read. It's a letter. And, and one of the reasons I like it is that it is really good at comforting the afflicted. It's also really good at afflicting the comfortable. And, and so we learn in this letter about God's grace and his mercy. We learn about the gift of what he has done for us in Christ. Um, we've also, we also learn about the challenges that happen when we are people who are strangers on the earth. That we are sojourners here. That we never quite feel at home. There's challenges to that. And as a church, we're moving into a new season of life. Uh, we've just finished moving into the new space. I was telling somebody earlier that last year we were really on the ball with uh, doing all the marketing and everything for Holy Week. Um, and so that like we had all these visitor bags when people came on Easter. And this year just wasn't so because the move just drained the capacity for those kinds of things. So all the cool marketing stuff's coming later. Um, but, you know, so it's one of those things that we are, we're moving into a new season. We finally can kind of catch our breath a little bit. We've made it into this space. We've got some sustainable rhythms as a community for setup, cleanup, youth programs, children's programming. Um, and, and so now that we've uh, gotten to celebrate our first Holy Week here together, we, we now are moving into a new season where we're going to have a vestry for the first time. If, you're not, if you've never been in an Anglican setting, it's kind of like the board that governs the church. Um, and, and so we've never had one yet. We've had an outside board up to this point because we started with so few people in the church that we couldn't even have a governing board in the beginning. And so as God has built the church, um, we will have our first vestry election and a governing board. There are a lot of sustainability. There's a lot of sustainability that's happening, right? It's, you can feel as things get rhythmic. Um, things become sustainable. It's really nice. And yet, I don't want to mistake stability for this idea that we have arrived, right? We have not yet arrived. And that's one of the things that we find in First Peter, that we are not home yet. We want to be a healthy church, and we want to have stable rhythms of, of worship and outreach, administration, all those things are really good. And, but at this core, I want to have a profound sense that we are not home yet, and that we are journeying together in a strange land, as God's Spirit is here, moving us and transforming us. Think of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. God's spirit was there, 
But the tabernacle kept moving. There was this sense that they weren't home yet. And that's a deep sense that we all need to feel. And so you and I, we have been changed by the Holy Spirit for a purpose. Not just to be comfortable, not just to feel at home somewhere. But you and I are created to be signposts to point others to the kingdom of God. You and I have been changed. We're new creation creatures. Um, To point people to the kingdom of God, which is... Uh, coming and is now here in each one of us. And it's in our lives and in our households. It's in our church community together. It's in the ways that we relate to one another and the ways that we react to life's changing circumstances. That's where we see the kingdom. And in our baptism, which we got to reaffirm at the Easter vigil about a week ago, remember that we are made members of Christ. And because of that, we're made members one to another. There's a profound sense that we are a united people. We are a people who is not yet a people before Christ. And, and so we're never really at home in any earthly place or situation. We're always a signpost pointing to the realities of the kingdom of heaven. And so there are two things. There are a couple of things in this passage. We start First Peter uh, with Peter writing to exiles. Um, he wants to encourage them. And so the first thing he does is he, as we open this letter, First Peter chapter 1, which Nadia did a great job of reading today. Thank you. Um, what he's going to do is he's going to encourage these, these Christians for what they are going through. But then also he's going to talk about the usefulness of the trials that they're going through. So encouragement. Um, about their hope and encouragement about the usefulness of trials. St. Peter starts this letters to the, expo- the exiles who are in dispersion. These are terms that we would find in the Old Testament. For Jews who were outside of Israel, who were taken away from Israel. The exiles of the dispersion. But these Christians are, are people who are exiles uh, of the dispersion out in what is today modern-day Turkey on the Asian side, um, on the eastern part of Turkey. It's this large region in the outskirts of the Roman Empire. So they're on the fringes of the empire, um, really remote places in the first century. We don't know if the group that he's talking to were Jews or Gentiles. Uh, There are lots of people on both sides of that But we do know that somehow these Christians who are out in the outskirts of the empire had a a real relational connection to Peter somehow. And so however they got there, um, I mean, if I had to guess, I think they were Jews who were connected to Peter in Rome and they got sent out during Claudius's reign. But that's my guess. Um, These are Christians following Jesus out on the outskirts of empire, friends of Peter, in places that were really diverse small towns that, um, or, or cities that uh, had suburbs. They were in very diverse places, places that were very pluralistic. Um, out in the outskirts of empire where people didn't have a lot of influence on what happened in Rome. And, but diverse didn't necessarily mean integrated. Um, these, if you go to Turkey today, you can go to the Armenian neighborhood in the town or the Greek neighborhood. Well, not anymore. Uh, but, you know, you get the point. These are, they're not necessarily integrated, um, but they are diverse populations. There were lots of ethnicities and cultures 
There were lots of religious backgrounds. And so Christians were yet one more minority group uh, within those diverse towns and cities. And they often then became a scapegoat for whatever civil problems were occurring. And so it's not like there was Roman persecution of Christians to these people. It was more like localized things. Like if something bad happened in the neighborhood, of course, it's probably the Christians' fault. And so they were undergoing persecution locally. Peter remembers his friends, and I find that encouraging. He actually takes time to think about his friends who were sent out to the outskirts of the empire. They weren't forgotten. They had to figure out how to begin life again. And that's really hard. Uh, They were following Jesus, and it cost them something. And these people weren't forgotten by Peter. and, And so the encouragement from that is they also weren't forgotten by God. And so Peter reminds them uh, about the fact that they're not forgotten by God. He wants to encourage them. I know you feel isolated and alone, but don't give up. Some of them haven't yet seen the person of Jesus. In fact, probably a lot of them haven't seen Jesus in person. Some of them might have. And so it's kind of like he's saying, hey, I know you feel like you're all alone out there on the outskirts of the empire. Like no one cares anymore. Um, And that you feel strange, like you're not part of wherever you are. And you didn't have the benefit of seeing Jesus. Like, I hear all that, but I want you to know that none of that puts you at a disadvantage. None of that puts you at a disadvantage in your walk with Jesus. God had decided before anything, uh, before before creation, that, that they would be born again. That he wanted to make them into his people to share his glory in the neighborhoods that he had placed them in. That's what the beginning of the letter starts with in the first three verses. Before anything else, God had chosen them to make them new creation beings, to put them in a place to show his love and glory. And so God had planned that from the beginning to give them his Holy Spirit, that they would obey Christ and be cleansed with his blood. God had made them and he's made us to be sojourners, people who are traveling who feel like strangers in a foreign land, um, but sojourners with hope because um, trials serve to purify our faith that longs for a home with Jesus. Um, We are sojourners with hope and, and we shouldn't feel like this is our home. We are always hopeful that there comes a day. Uh, when Jesus will return and we will dwell with him. So St. Peter then writes about the usefulness of all the trials that they're going through. So imagine this with me for a second. You are a reader of this letter trying to establish some normal rhythms and patterns. You've just had everything thrown out the window and you're trying to start again, which is really hard. Some of you can relate uh, to that more than others if your pattern of life is having to move every couple of years, right? Like, you know, starting again, you need to settle down with some new rhythms really quickly um, or else uh, it's going to be really hard. And so these people are thrown into a new place they're not used to. They're a minority in it. And, and they're doing their day-to-day tasks that are seemingly insignificant, And all the while they're experiencing people harassing them because they're trying to follow Jesus. And that's strange to the people around them. And so you can imagine, you know, perhaps they couldn't participate in some of the local neighborhood festivities because 
Joey's Barbecue is actually a dedication to Bacchus or something. You know, uh, there's things that they can't participate in. And so they get looked at as super weird by their neighbors. Um, there are things that their neighbors do that are demonic and unhelpful um, at the very least. And, and and so perhaps they had differing views on on how God has created people, um, how God wants to be glorified. What is the good life? And all of those things are competing with the surrounding culture. And so they're seen by others as uh, either politically or morally threatening to, to those around them. And so they're probably wondering, you know what? I don't know if this is worth it. Like if I knew following Jesus was going to be this hard, I don't know if I would have signed up for that. There's always that temptation. Uh, the temptation either to assimilate to culture because it's easier or uh, to run away from all of our neighbors to create this cloister of conformity in the church or the household. Um, it, it's an extreme form. If you take like the Benedict option and go to the extreme and just create like a, a holy huddle, um, you know, that would be one extreme of it. It's, it's neither conformity to the world, nor is it completely running away. It's, it's a, a nuanced type of engagement with the world. Christian, Christians are tasked with this challenge. And it is challenging to work out what our new creation life looks like in the context of where we live. You and I have been placed in households and in neighborhoods in which we are supposed to live out that new creation life um, for others to experience Jesus. We are all ministers of meaningful engagement in that case. And so, you know, let us never think that I'm the only minister here. Uh, in fact, you are all ministers. And what is the, the St. Paul says that pastors are to equip the church for the work of the ministry. All of you are, are the ministers in where you're placed. And so this church needs to reflect the areas uh, that God has placed us to minister because you and I are given those contexts of ministry Ourselves, our lives, our households, our neighborhoods, our workplaces. And so that actually gives a new framework to the things that seem like they're insignificant or inconsequential every day. The everyday work is transformed into something like a sacrament because people are experiencing the grace of God when they experience us in those everyday moments. And so the stuff of earth now has the potential to become the stuff of heaven. And so this is where we start when we encounter various kinds of trials. We're going to. And I don't know about you, but I don't do really well with trials or temptations. Like, I wish that I could stand here and tell you how to do it because I've done it well. And, but, you know, I'll give you a kind of a silly example from last week that, um, you know, it's Easter Sunday. And, you know, priests have a few services that week. And so we're all a little tired. And, and, and I was getting ready with, with our family for church Sunday morning. And that can sometimes be a stressful time. I know that's weird, but getting ready for church can be kind of stressful sometimes. And so I get into the, the car, put my son in his seat, and I, and I turn. And, and so to get out of our little court, there's kind of only space for one car to go out or in at a time. So I back out, and I'm about to turn out into the main road to come to church. 
And all of a sudden, this guy in a Tesla rolls up. (laughs) And he blocks the driveway out. And he's got sunglasses on. He looks super cool. And, I, and I'm mad. <laughs> like, I, I would not, worshiping Jesus was the farthest thing from my mind at that moment. Our eyes lock. I'm angry. And I'm wearing my clerical collar. <laughs> and neither of us move. It's like a staring contest. And, and I'm waiting for him, and he's waiting for me. And he looks at me, and he lifts his head, shoes me away, like, get out of my way. I got to come through. Oh, I feel better just saying that out loud. So, you know, my brain was saying, you need to get out of my way, you entitled litany of expletives, right? Because um, I need to get to church. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is kind of like confession. Um, but you know what? Here's the good thing. Like, I didn't react to that. Actually, I, the thought came in. And I took a breath. I was recognizing what was happening. Thanks be to God. I felt the adrenaline go up and I felt my body go into the fight or flight mode and I was ready to fight. So I took a deep breath. Just a deep breath. I just sort of rats. I have this like imaginary. I got this from another priest. I have have an imaginary anxiety meter and I just ratcheted it down a little bit. And so I took a deep breath and I realized in that moment, you know what? I bet Satan's trying to throw me off. It's Easter morning. My child's crying. Someone's blocking the car. I'm probably going to get in a car accident on the way to church, right? Like, I just, I'm thinking, what's Satan going to try next, you know? And um, I just wanted to be with God's people, but this was making it really hard to uh, prepare my heart properly for Easter morning. And uh, so reflecting on it more, I realized that actually my frustration wasn't him, it was me. Uh, And and I realized that what he was touching on was my own insecurity about somebody else who was more successful than me, better looking than me, putting me in my place and feeling a sense of a loss of control. Right. And so I am the worst of sinners. Um, But you know what? Maybe maybe uh, you felt that way as well. Uh, But I recognize that that's what was happening And you know what? Being able to recognize that stuff is really hard. Like, it's one thing to say, oh, I'm having a flight or fight fight response. I'm going to ratchet down the anxiety. But then to go backwards a little bit more and go, you know what? There's actually something behind that. There's a reason why I got so triggered. Like, that takes a lot of work. And it has taken a lot of work. I don't do it well always. But that day, praise the Lord, I did. Um. And and this is how we encounter trials and temptations. Uh, We can choose how we react to them when they come to us. Because they'll come. St. Peter encourages these believers that the things that are happening to them, which, by the way, are far worse than me just being inconvenienced by a guy in a Tesla. uh, Those trials and the temptations that that are happening to us are useful. They're useful for the burning away of the stuff of your life that is not from faith in Christ. That's what they're there for. They're a purifying agent to take away those things that aren't coming from a place of faith in Christ. The things that won't give praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So our, infu- our future inheritance uh, 
makes use of trials as we, as we face them, and it, and it frames how we inhabit the parts of our lives that feel the most mundane, the everyday stuff. And as I've been praying through this passage, um, and First Peter generally, where we're going in the next few weeks, I was thinking that this passage gives us, one, uh, a hope to hold on to, and then it gives us a posture to develop. A hope to hold on to and a posture to develop. First, there's a hope. Um, What God has done in Christ for you and for me, for us, he's planned to do from the very beginning. That nothing that you do is a surprise to God. Nothing happened by accident. Um, None of you surprises God. Like quite the opposite, actually. God knows and deeply loves each person here. And... He loves this corporate body that he is shaping and fashioning into his image. He's making this into a place where his love is known and where his love is shared. And where, his, his, uh, where we are committing to one another. So we're going to face sorrows. We're going to face discouragements. We're going to face frustrations. We're going to have places, people, circumstances that we encounter that tempt us to stumble um, in our life and in our walk with Jesus. Whether it's a child that you've told for the hundredth time that they can't do something, or the times that we've disregarded prayer in order to be entertained, where we've overindulged our appetites uh, in all the ways that that word is used, not just food, or where we're listening to the shame voices that speak into our insecurities. Every place of trial or temptation is an invitation. And I find that an encouragement from First Peter. Every place of trial or temptation is this invitation to walk with God, to purify those places that aren't from faith. So we need to cultivate times of prayer. We need to cultivate space for reflection that allows us to recognize where those places are. Are we able to recognize our psychological or our emotional, spiritual reactions to events? And then relate them to the movements that are happening in our soul or to our story. And, and again, I'll be honest, I'm not great at it, but I'm really trying to work on it. And so, um, you know, I've told some of you this, like I, I have a, um, uh, I had a confessor, I have a spiritual director, uh, I have a, a church planting coach, and I have a counselor. And like all those people are really helpful for different reasons to to help me with this very thing that I need to work on. Um, And by the way, formation groups are also a really helpful place to practice this. Because when you hear from other people in community, you hear from the Holy Spirit. And so second, this passage encourages us to hold a particular posture to the world around us. It's this quiet confidence that belongs to a child of God that knows how loved they are by their creator. There's a confidence that we have in who God has made us and what we look forward to. And so this isn't our home. And while we pray for the flourishing of people around us, and we should, and we should seek for it, advocate for it, um, we know that no system and no piece of legislation, no party or politician is going to bring the new creation that's associated with the kingdom of heaven. At least we should know that. As citizens of God's kingdom, we're called to listen well without assimilating uh, Jesus to culture. And as we hear the hearts of those around us who are sharing about their joys and their sorrows, 
Sometimes they're going to ask us to speak. And I would love for us to be ready. But that involves us listening well. And so this is an invitation when they, when they do ask to speak the life of God's kingdom into a heart uh, that's been shaped by the liturgies and habits of the kingdom of man. Thinking about some of the difficult situations my neighbors have gone through. And I love it when those moments happen where we've had conversations together and all of a sudden they ask me, so what do you think about this? Like they know who I am. They know we come from a completely different place, but we've built enough relational trust with one another that they feel like they can ask that and it's okay. And I don't have to uh, shy away from saying what I believe the gospel speaks into something. And it's not weird. Um, So it's neither assimilating to culture's liturgy or habits, nor is it complete abandonment of everybody around us. It's almost like setting up a consulate for the kingdom of heaven inside your neighborhood. When people get to know you and when they get to know your household, what do they learn about the kingdom of heaven and about God's love? So I want to encourage us this morning that we're not home yet. I mean, we're in a preschool multi-purpose room. We know this. We have it all around us. We're not home yet. Um, And while we journey in the discomfort of never quite feeling at home, we know that God is with us. One of the things I was encouraged by in Holy Week was hearing testimonies from you all, uh, from different people about how God's been at work in your life. And I think, man, what an amazing gift to hear the ways The Holy Spirit's at work in this community as we do these hard things together, setting up, tearing down, brewing coffee, getting to know new people, being vulnerable with new people. It's amazing, and it takes time. Even though we're not home yet, God is at work. God has placed us where we are as embassies of his kingdom, in, in our neighborhoods, our lives, our households. This church are the context for viewing the kingdom of God at work. And we journey with hope, pointing others to where all of creation's going, where it's all going to be made new. So the trials that you and I encounter are an invitation to cast off anything that is not from faith in Christ. And we have a hope from Christ that's imperishable. It's being guarded for us. We need to develop a listening posture that speaks the resurrection life of Jesus, uh, of his kingdom, in a nuanced way into the kingdom of darkness. And as we go through our days, may God give us grace to see our everyday stuff as the stuff of the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've delivered us from the dominion of sin and death and brought us into the kingdom of your beloved Son. Grant that by his death he has called us to life, So by his love, he may raise us to eternal joys, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.